Perspective This Week debates the pros and cons of introducing legislation to allow assisted dying. I'm joined in the studio by Dr Alex Allenson, MHK, Dr Ben Harris, Peter Murcott and Quinton Gill. So why did Quinton try to introduce a similar bill in 2003? Well, uh, my motivation and that of John was was a shared view that the whole debate around assisted dying or, or whatever form that uh, that 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 um, activity would um, reflect was important that it was openly considered um, and that it was debated and that we, we we formed an opinion whatever the outcome would be and if, if I'm being candid we anticipated that the tumult that we we looked around and assessed the the positions of other members it wouldn't be successful in actually moving legislation but we did think it was um, it, the effect that we wanted was to introduce the issue and to have it debated openly and uh, and to, to, to get it on the agenda uh, and to keep it on the agenda. And in that, I think we were successful. Obviously, the committee did a, a huge amount of work back then. Uh, what what happened ultimately to, to the attempt uh, to, to move the legislation? Well, the, the report you mentioned actually was extremely, extremely well written. It was by a, a lady called Jenny Helps, and who was, I think, a double first from Oxford, and it absolutely showed it was a quality, fair, balanced, um, and, and, and but evidence-based report. And I know subsequently it was in demand from countries across the Commonwealth who were having the same debate that we were. So in terms of just credibility and um, competence, I think it, it set a really fair ground rules. But sure enough, as John Remington and I had anticipated, the three schools in Timwald at that time were very much skewed. Of Those of us who had a considered view who were in favour in principle, those who were against for considered views in principle um, were were probably equal minority numbers and the balance in the middle was look we don't need this let's not upset anybody in the UK blah blah and therefore inertia of, of Tim will rule the day and we ran out of time so the issue was on the the political agenda in the widest scale but uh, but in terms of Tim Wald, it, it it fell at that point and um, which is what we anticipated but I think still it was an exercise that has led to where we are today and uh, and I hope that that will be a good foundation. Alex Allenson you you've decided to to, to pick up on this again I think you you tried um, in in the previous house is that correct? I, I had a motion in 2020 about assisted dying which was a, a timbled motion to to explore the appetite and at that time um, I think timbled members were interested but wanted more information but then of course the world changed then we got into covid and and so things were stalled I mean, i'd like to thank quinton for, for for the work i completely agree with him when you look through the report which ends up being published i think in 2006 um it's it, it still stands the, the test of time i mean it's a very good report it goes through all the the various arguments pro and against the sister dying um and really is a, a bedrock of some of some of those things going forward and obviously since then jim watterson tried to bring a private members bill through as well um, so we've been d- d- talking about this quite seriously in Timwell for the last two decades. And certainly last year, I thought it was time to, to bring this this uh, this um, up again. Um, I was 
uh, extremely grateful for the House of Keys for giving me um, leave to introduce a private member's bill. And so we're now going through the process of that with a public consultation, exploring the ideas again. Um, but, but as Quinton said, the, these, these arguments, these, these, the, the wish of people to have dignity at a time of their death isn't going to go away, hasn't gone away for, for the last couple of decades. And I think now we have a different Tim world. I think with, um, with all due respect, a, a, probably a more diverse background of people and ideas, which I, I, I hope we'll be able to consider this as we go forward. And in, in terms of going forward, um, clearly the consultation has, has only just closed. Uh, well, I suppose the first question then is, uh, what, what can you tell us about the consultation? Um, just that uh, there, there seems to have been a lot of interest from, from the public, from various groups on the Isle of Man, and also in, internationally um, with lots of submissions. Um, I don't have the exact number of those, but, it, but it's been a, a, you know, a well-used consultation. Uh, what happens now is that the, the Timwald Office will try to collate all, all, that bit, all those bits of information, the written submissions, the electronic submissions, will um, produce a report which, which goes through um, people's views. And on the basis of that, then um, you know, look at legislation to come forward. The, the leave to introduce a private member's bill gives me access to a legal drafter. And as, as I said, we have had several attempts to bring through private members' bills in the past, as they have in the United Kingdom, um, through Westminster, particularly the House of Lords, as we are now seeing through the Scottish Parliament, and certainly also in Jersey. Um, but with Jersey, the, the government are actually bringing through legislation and have gone through the, the um, prospect of a citizen's jury to, to, to do this rather than a public consultation. So, so the next step really is, is to look at the results of the public consultation, look at how those might influence a bit of legislation coming through, and then get that drafted. And, and I suppose that's, I mean, th there was confusion, a little bit of confusion anyway, in, in, in some people's minds uh, in Tinwald, uh, in, in this, the January, January Tinwald, that um, the, 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 trying to understand the difference between a private member's bill and a government bill, um, I mean, I, th I think that was reasonably cleared up. Um, but but what, why does government not decide to, to bring forward a, a piece of legislation like this? Well, at the start of each administration, normally the, the chief minister will set out their policies that they want to pursue. And, and in the past, we've had programmes for government. Um, in this administration, we've got an island plan, which is very much a consensual um, uh, a collection of ideas and, and, and the way of, of driving policy, strategy and legislation forward. Now, um, there are various social policies, particularly um, in this case on assisted dying, which aren't really part of that island plan. And that's one of the, the, the great privileges of being a member of the House of Keys, is that you have the ability to promote these sort of ideas that, that often um, can't be defined by one particular department, one particular minister, um, really cross over. Um, in, 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 into social policy and, and I, I would advocate human rights as well um, to allow those to progress and, and I'm very grateful to the House for giving me that leave. Ben Harris, I mean you're one of the doctors that has been I think it's fair to say critical of the principle of assisted dying. Um, why would you not um, want to give people the choice in, in these in incredibly difficult circumstances to uh, end their, their, their lives? Um, well, when you say when you say that, that sounds very, a very reasonable thing, doesn't it? Unfortunately, that isn't how assisted dying plays out. 
and certainly it isn't how it's played out in the number of jurisdictions where it has been introduced. And it's interesting, uh, looking back to um, that select committee that was 20 years ago now, a huge amount has changed. And I think it would, I think um, if, if this bill uh, does come to Timwald, then I, I think having a select committee to look at the issues as they are in 2023 is, is an extremely, would be an extremely valuable part of, of its passage through Timwald. Um, I mean, you mentioned the consult. You mentioned the consultation, and it's it's a curious process where um, Alex, who who has made his views extremely clear that he wants to see assisted dying in the Isle of Man, um, you know, is then tasked with writing the consultation and creating the questions, um, and indeed analysing the results. Um, and I think, you know, many people would say that there can only be one conclusion to that type of an exercise. And a number of people have suggested that it is a bit leading in, in, its, in its construction. And indeed, this is often suggested about government consultations, whether it's fair or not is, is another matter. I mean, it, 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 overall, though, I mean, you are opposed in, in principle to uh, uh, having legislation to allow assisted dying, aren't you? That, that's that's correct, um, and, and that is, and that is, having spent my whole career working with the care of the dying, you know, end of life care. Um, I, I think it would be it would be um, a bad situation for the Isle of Man and, and for patients in the Isle of Man uh, receiving serious diagnoses if that legislation was in place because. At that point, they are extremely vulnerable. Um, many reports have indicated the high levels of depression that occur when receiving that kind of bad news of that kind of diagnosis, and all of those and all of those things could affect somebody's um, choice. You know, so it wouldn't perhaps be a really free choice. The other big issue, of course, is is that you know, when does a choice become an, en an enforced obligation? People are frightened of, of being a burden on their families. I mean, certainly in, in Oregon, 54% of people subject to assisted dying said that they do it to try to, because they don't want to be a burden on their families. Is that really their free choice? Or is it a societal obligation? Peter Murcott, um, obviously, you're also bringing balance from the from the other side. You're not a big supporter. In fact, you're not a supporter at all of assisted dying, are you? The bill properly described is actually assisted suicide. And one of the things that I discovered when uh, there were various meetings about this, that there was a great deal of confusion amongst the public of exactly what the bill was doing. I pointed out that the bill would seek to amend section 2, subsection 1 of the Criminal Law Act 1981, which created the offence, the primary offence of aiding, abetting, counselling or procuring suicide. So the first point I would make is I would value clarity to be well known on, to people because I find assisted dying is a vague expression that could cover a number of scenarios. And as I've read the uh, proposals, they do amount to assisted suicide, so I shall call it that. The first thing is, uh, the bill would be against the word of God. 
Now, some people will say, well, I don't believe in God, and so that is probably not relevant. However, that leads on to the second point. The bill is against the fundamental constitution of the land because uh, the Isle of Man recognises King Charles III as Lord of Man, and while they do so, he is under a statutory obligation to maintain to the utmost of his powers the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel. So whether you believe in God or whether you don't, the fact is he has that legal responsibility and this bill would uh, create a constitutional crisis for the king, which I can describe later if I have time. And the third thing is that it has been said quite rightly that there are not words that can satisfactorily define what is and what is not offside because experience shows in these other jurisdictions that what start off as ferocious safeguards, uh, they get less ferocious as the time goes on. And that has been the pattern all the way through. And I might say the fourth thing is, having come from one Celtic country to another, I find the bill to be countercultural because um, certainly I came from Wales before I came to the Isle of Man. And I think it goes against some very deep-seated views that Manx people have, and certainly the views that they would have had in Wales with regard to life and death. And I think that they would shrink from becoming involved in enabling another person to commit suicide. Does public opinion matter in, in these circumstances? Is public opinion what, sorry? Does, does it matter in these circumstances? I think public opinion certainly matters. Um, one of the problems with a consultation like this is however well you do it and however carefully you do it, it is very difficult to gauge public opinion because I come back to the point that I found that um, quite a number of the members of the public were quite frankly not clear about what the legislation was, uh, was proposing. Now, I was clear because I'd read it and I could understand it, but then... I've had legal training, so I would be able to do that, but most people couldn't, and it took quite a bit of explanation as to what exactly they were being consulted about. Dr Allenson, then, um, is it fair to say that the consultation, the people have been led by the nose um, with, with the consultation, or are the, are the questions leading? Well, as you said, arguing against the process of consultations is quite common when people disagree with the principles that are being um, discussed. Um, in terms of the Assist the Dying consultation, you're, you're quite right. It, it's a private member's bill, so it is down to me to, to, to think about how to consult. I don't think there's any there's any um, statutory obligation to consult on a private member's bill, but but we do because we like to involve people. And and it's not an opinion survey. It's trying to elicit ideas and, and stimulate debate. And I'd like to thank you and, and, and the other people around, around this table for taking part in that debate. That's the whole thing about a democracy. Um, so I, I, you're quite right. I had to write the answers. I had to explain what what um, I mean by sister dying, which is really, um, it describes a process of, of prescribing on request life-ending medications to an individual, an adult with mental capacity who is already dying with a terminal diagnosis in order to give them the means to control the manner and timing of their own death. And, and 
the the consultation, some of the wording was based on the Scottish consultation, which attracted over 14,000 um, submissions. And I liaised with Liam MacArthur, the, the Scottish um, uh, MP, regarding that to try to get it right. I, I, we have had various opinion surveys, both here, the other um, ch the Channel Islands, and in the UK. And when you, when you ask binary questions about assisted dying, the vast majority of people will say yes. But But I think when you drill down to some of the technicalities and intricacies of what we mean that then people then start questioning exactly what their own views are and that was one of the ideas where, about the consultation um, was to talk, start talking about how it would work in principle um, so that we can draft the right legislation to, to reflect some of those technicalities that are involved. Quentin, you're, you're a, a counter-cultural counter, uh, in, 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 in supporting this uh, piece of legislation. Yeah, I'm not sure how that logic um, follows through, but um, I, th I think I would just take issue th any suggestion that Dr. Allenson is somehow judge and jury and it's a done job. If anybody had come to Timwald and said, we'll have a referendum on the right, on in introducing this and it'll be binding, well, referendum's not really a very good way of making big decisions. That would probably be a, 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 an abuse of a process because it would be unfair, uninformed um, and, and unengaged in a, in a meaningful way. You'd be asking people to make a yes or no decision. That's not happened. What is is a perfectly legitimate consultation. I have every confidence it will be open. Tim will, will hold the, the Dr. Anson's feet to the fire to make sure it's been fair and it's not been biased, whatever the outcomes are. Um, and I, and I, I, Peter's um, concerns about a constitutional um, crisis out, coming out of legislation like this. This gets thrown up with every bit of social legislation that the end of the world will happen if we give women the vote or if we give 16 year olds the vote or if we introduce an abortion bill or abortion legislation or whatever. Any social legislation, the establishment invariably throws this constitutional uh, card into the, the, the into the, the the fray, and we tested that with the then attorney in two thousand three, who was absolutely against us having anything contrary to the United Kingdom government, um, but he wouldn't actually go so far as to state it. But that was the clear inference. However, in the two decades since then, you've seen it yourself, Phil, that the UK has devolved powers, legislations and rights to, to all parts of the UK on a regional and on a national basis. And we are no different from that. And this is a Manx matter. And whilst I hear and accept Peter's concerns that some people on the island would have the, the concerns he described, uh, I think at the end of the day, this is a Manx matter for Manx people to decide. And I do not think there is any realistic suggestion that royal assent would be withheld it's it's simply unfathomable to 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 extend that argument and presumably um, that's an argument that's going to be tested if uh, if jersey supports their um uh, attempt at uh, assisted dying uh, peter i think that there's a a big misunderstanding about the Royal Assent. I had a long discussion on this question with uh, Lord Lisvane when he came over. First thing is the Royal Assent still could be refused. The point that I'm making is that legislation like this is premature. The first thing that 
any of the devolved assemblies or parliament in Westminster, whatever, have got to do, because royal assent applies to all of the assemblies that there are from Jersey or wherever. They need to petition the United Kingdom government to change the Coronation Oath Act, Section 3. Now, that would be the first thing, because what is not appreciated is that the monarch is put in an impossible position between a rock and a hard place. The monarch has a statutory duty that's personal to him. It was established in 1688. It was a fundamental plank of the establishment of constitutional monarchy. And Parliament of the day, and no Parliament has chosen to change it, laid down that to accept the crown in 1688, the king, and it was actually a king and queen at that time, William III, Mary II, they had to agree to a statutory form of the coronation oath. And it's very, very clear. It says that the king sw solemnly swears to the utmost of his power to maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel. Now, that's what Parliament wanted. And here you have a complete conundrum. Parliament on one side is putting on the head of state a legal obligation to maintain the laws of God. On the other side, you have a Parliament passing or proposing or talking about passing legislation, which in fact puts him on a collision course. And so what does the king do? He's on the one side, he cannot ignore that act because he comes up against another piece of legislation, which is the Bill of Rights Act, 1689. And the Bill of Rights Act was again fundamental to constitutional monarchy because the previous monarch was taking on himself to suspend or dispense with the law, and that was why he got overthrown. And to stop that eventuality, Parliament wrote into the Bill of Rights Act, which is still in force, that the pretended suspending and dispensing power is hereby declared null and void. So, if the king, because of the constitutional crisis that would arise, sets aside or ignores the Coronation Oath Act, which place, places on him a statutory obligation, what else is he doing but dispensing with the law on that particular issue, in which case he is going against a very fundamental principle that is applicable directly to the monarchy. And so I would contend that before you even start to have a bill like this, what the members of uh, the legislatures need to do, remembering that they swear an oath of allegiance to the monarch, is to assist the monarch while the Coronation Oath Act endures to assist the monarch by refraining from passing any legislation that brings about this constitutional crash, crisis. Because if the king refused the royal assent, he immediately would have a major crisis on his hands, which might even bring the end to the monarchy. And yet on the other side, he's got this legal obligation. Who would like to be in that position? And I do think that each legislature has got to face the facts and they've got to face up to those facts. They have an oath of allegiance to assist His Majesty, and they can do it in two ways. One, they can do what I said a moment ago, they can petition Parliament to uh, amend or to repeal or to change the coronation oath, or secondly, they themselves have got to refrain 
from passing legislation which calls the oath into question. There isn't a third way, in my view. And, and it's a great view, and I'd love to spend time debating the complex constitutional relationship that we have uh, with the United Kingdom, and indeed, you know, that we, we could debate as, as well the the reasons for, for the coronation oath being drafted in the way that it is, which was all about the uh, the the um, Anglican faith not wanting the Catholic faith to to uh, potentially uh, get a, a a foothold back in 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 terms of the the, the monarchy. But I, I think if, Ben, if if we could maybe bring this back to to people, um, are there ever occasions um, where people in, in your care say, actually, I really do feel that. Uh, I can't go on anymore and, and I don't don't really want to have to live this life any longer. I can honestly say that that, that, ha- that hasn't been a feature of, of my work um, on the Isle of Man. Um, I mean, the, the, the advocates for assisted dying, um, they speak a lot about people suffering. Um, and, you know, that, that suffering is a very subjective phenomenon and it certainly isn't inevitable. Uh, we we all we all suffer to some extent uh, through our lives uh, and 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 continue um, <clears throat> and I, and it always alarms me when um, terrible suffering is described as inevitable because uh, of of how how that makes anybody feel who who is re- receiving that kind of diagnosis. Um, in fact. Time leading up to death can be very valuable in people's lives. It, it can be a time of reconciliation for friends and families. Um, the, the time leading up to death is a part of life. Um, there was a, a, an Indian poet, Tagore, who said that death belongs to life as birth does. The walk is in the raising of the foot as in the laying of it down. And, and so... That that very end, that very end of life, or that period, at the very end of life, uh, is just as important as any other. And and um, <clears throat> the proposals are that essentially um, somebody with six months left to live, the implication is that perhaps their life isn't worth living anymore. Uh, and and I would refute that and say that life is always worth living uh, if somebody feels cared for and looked after. So, so Alex, I mean, uh, I suppose I ask the same question of you. Uh, have you ever been in a position where you've been caring for someone whose whose life is obviously coming to an end, and they've asked you um, for, you know, is there is there no way that that my life can be shortened? M- many times, actually, and and one one patient actually asked me to fill out a form for dignitas because she wanted to 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 go to Switzerland, um, and. I, I contacted the General Medical Council because at, at the moment um, that that would be illegal and, and they said you, you can't fill out the form, you can't advise her on any assisted suicide, you can't um, even give her her clinical notes to take with her, she has to request those because if you do you'll be breaking the law and, and theoretically you'll be struck off because of our legislation at the moment. 
and and Ben previously talked about um, Oregon and and they they when people apply for assisted dying they ask about end of life concerns and and he's right that 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 being a burden to family friends and caregivers you know fifty four percent of people say that but ninety three percent of people say their main concern is losing autonomy. 92% of people say they're less able to engage in activities making life enjoyable. And 68% of people say that their main concern at the end of life is loss of dig dignity. And so when we're talking about suffering, when we're talking about stress, it's not just the pain. And, and I agree with Ben that, that modern palliative care can relieve a lot of those symptoms. And, and we, we need to get away from people being frightened about death because it is a natural part of life. Um, but what we need to do is, is listen to those people and listen to their fears. And that loss of autonomy and loss of dignity is, is, a, is a main fear to a very small number of people um, who decide that really that they would like to be in control of their own death. And, and the reality is, unfortunately, we know that people are taking things into their own hand, hands. And, and we know that people are suiciding um, with terminal illness. And there's good statistics about that. And that's done without the support, without being able to tell people because they're worried about um, that they, they might get their relatives and their loved ones into trouble by doing this. And so this, this if, 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 if all else, this debate hopefully will, will allow people to talk about death in, in, in a mature way, will allow people to be open about their own wishes with their families and friends. And, um, and, and I, I would like to respect those wishes. Quinton then, I mean, uh I don't know. You're, you're uh, like uh, Peter and, and myself. You're, you're um, uh, like a, 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 a non-qualified uh, uh, bystander uh, to, to the, the, the debate the doctors have just had there. On the one hand, uh, one doctor has said that they've never been approached by anyone to have their life uh, ended, um, um, and another one who said on, on many occasions they have. Is is this a potentially a uh, one of the concerns that is often expressed for those who, who, who would oppose this legislation, that uh, it's about differences in approach, perhaps, uh, from medical staff. So, some who are more supportive of the principle of assisted dying will perhaps be more uh, inclined to uh, encourage or, or, or um, uh, be sympathetic to, to, to that particular cause. I, I I can't say, but I'm sure your your premise is right that um, people make an assessment of the person they're speaking to, and are they going to get um, the 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 uh, response that they're looking for from that person? Uh, and and that's not any nature of criticism. I would take issue that you say I'm not qualified. I'm you are qualified. Peter is qualified. Everybody in this room and listening to this program is qualified. But because we are talking about choice at the end of life, which will affect every one of us inevitably. And um, I think, as Dr. Allen very eloquently just outlined, um, they are matters that are valid, that should be considered openly. And I personally feel that actually both sides can have, with respect and uh, and tolerance, can... can um, take away from the end of this process hopefully with legislation with checks and balances and safeguards introduced um, and adhered to as I think they are in other mature democracies where they've introduced this legislation um, I think where that happens people in absolutely rightly have the opt-out as professionals or as individuals who would be affected by the issues to make their own choice and say this is not what I want for whatever reason and, uh, and that should be 
completely respected. And I don't think anybody is suggesting anything to the alternative of that. But the corollary of that is those people like myself who actually think about my death while I've got some degree of mental capacity. I think I would like to have that opinion honoured at the point in my life when I'm nearing my, the, the end of, of my life. Uh, and I don't see what is so difficult as a, as a concept. Certainly the practicalities, yes, they, they need to be absolutely um, clarified and dealt with and managed. But in terms of the concept, it, it really is a matter of mutual respect. And um, I hope that that will be reflected in the legislative outcome. Ben, um, is it um, about different approaches from, from different people? I mean, is, is that perhaps the reason why no one has said to you as they approach the end of their life that they would like their lives shortened? <clears throat> well, well, you know, I mean, the, the, the scenario that Alex describes, I mean, could have been dealt with in a different way. I mean, it could have been that... that, that uh, the doctor might have looked at the underlying motivation for the request and and perhaps had tried to address the psychological pain and symptom management that perhaps the lady was experiencing and reassure her about ongoing care provision <clears throat> for her and her family, possibly possibly refer her to, to palliative care services and generally make her feel worthwhile and cared for. And, and that might have led to her feeling quite differently about her outlook and then choosing to, con- to continue with her life rather than following through with assisted dying. But the other point I'd like to pick up for, uh, from Alex, because Alex talks about a small number, of, that it just might be appropriate for a small number of people. And I think this kind of legislation is often justified by very unusual and extreme cases. <clears throat> but what concerns me is that once it's, uh, once it's been brought in, the numbers completely explode. And... And although many people deny it, the, the what's called the slippery slope phenomenon is very much alive and well. And the, the number of jurisdictions where that has occurred far outweighs those where that, that stuck to the original legislation. Certainly numbers in Holland, Belgium and Canada um, have, have hugely expanded. It becomes very run of the mill uh, in Canada which I think is probably the, the, the perhaps the worst jurisdiction uh, for assisted dying gone wrong. They don't talk anymore about a slippery slope, but rather about falling off a cliff. And um, it was a, in, in, in the, well, the national newspapers before Christmas, uh, uh, an article, uh, The Killing Fields of Liberal Canada. Um, there's only one line in the sand and that's not to permit deliberate killing for any reason. And that is, that is the current law in the Isle of Man. Um, and I would say that that served us well as a society for the last thousand years. Alex, then, uh, I mean, the, 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 the problem, I suppose, in, in relation to any of this is we can't go back and find out whether people who have benefited, in, in your view, perhaps benefited from assisted dying... Um, whether they actually had second thoughts because they're, they're not in a position to be able to say that. Uh, are you leading us down a slippery slope? I, I think the slippery slope argument has been used for, for lots of um, progressive social legislation, whether that be legalising homosexuality, whether that be same-sex marriage, whether that be abortion reform. And, and really, 
when, when, when you look at those jurisdictions who have expanded their provision, it's been a stepwise approach by their, their parliaments. Um, particularly in Canada, they passed um, an assisted dying and euthanasia law, and we're not I'm not talking about euthanasia here. Assisted dying and euthanasia law in 2016. In 2019, that was changed, and it was due to be changed this year to encompass people with severe mental illnesses. Now, I'm not certainly not advocating that, and I have personal, ethical, and, and medical issues against that extension. But their parliament has stalled that and asked for more information. And, and so, again, I think it, it is quite important. We've got... Uh, two politicians here, this is very much up, up to Timwald as the representatives of the people to, to get the right law, but to make sure that it has the checks and balances. There are the slippery slopes in terms of Timwald le legislation, a few and far between. Everyone accuses us of, of acting too slowly rather than too quickly in most cases. But to come back to, to your original question in terms of whether people change their mind um, at this, we're, we're dealing with people who are facing an, an imminent death. Most of the legislations uh, in other countries give a, a, a period of time for reflection, for asking them what, 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 what they want, for informing them of the options of palliative care, um, but also for having two opinions that, that this is for them. When you look um, across all the jurisdictions, and we're talking, again, this isn't radical new um, legislation. It, it, it is the, the state of play. It is the right of over 200 million people around the world for this, including many Commonwealth countries who have um, the, the king as their head of state. Um, when, when you look at the statistics, when people are provided with the means to achieve a, a, an assisted death, around about two-thirds of them end up taking it, but a third don't. But for that third, it gives them that security, that, that peace, that they have that choice but they, they carry on and, and die of more natural causes of their underlying condition. And, and so I think, well, I completely understand the, these concerns. I think through having well-crafted, debated legislation on the Isle of Man, we can overcome them. I'll, I'll bring Quinton in shortly, but Peter, I'm, I'm aware I've neglected you for a, 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 a little while here. Um, is, is one of the most fundamental aspects of any democracy that... Um, the will of the people should be reasonably reflected in in the laws of the, of the land. Uh, that's um, that's certainly the way things have developed, um, and of course it's very difficult to ascertain though the will of the people, as we've already explored. Um, and I'm not sure that consultations do that because you were no one has yet devised a satisfactory method of being able to ascertain exactly what the will because many people have many misconceptions but could i just uh, raise a point here about the person about the medical profession a legal point because i'm not qualified to talk about um, medical issues and i won't even try but i've looked closely at the question of those people who do not wish to be involved now, I pointed out at the very beginning that this bill is going to amend the existing law on aiding, abetting, counselling, procuring a suicide, which was passed in 1981 for reasons that I won't expand on because it'll waste time. I've looked at the conscience clause, and I have to say that the conscience clause as drafted is worthless, and I'll tell you why. Because what happens is that those people who are required to send an inquirer to someone else are still caught in the aiding, abetting, counselling and procuring. I would suggest that they're probably uh, 
counselling and procuring the thing. Let me put it another way. If under the present law, A comes to B and says, will you give me, uh, will you help me to commit suicide? And B says, no, I won't, but I'll send you to someone who will. I am pretty certain that that person would fall under the ambit of the present law. Now, under this one, it says that the doctor or the pharmacist or whoever who doesn't wish to be involved is required to send them to someone who will. And as I read, I was very interested in reading Dr. Allenson's um, remarks, which were in the Banks Independent, which actually confirm what I'm saying. He explains how somebody came to him and wanted to go to Dignitas and he couldn't write the letter because he was properly told by uh, some superior body that that would be aiding and abetting and giving advice would still come under that because that would actually, if we want to be very technical, it probably comes under the counselling of uh, or procuring. Let me just explain in passing, there are actually four offences in that. That isn't one offence. You could be charged technically with any one of those four offences. I've given a lot of thought to this and um, basing it on what he says, quite properly what he says here, what would happen if this bill gets through as it is, the pharmacist, the doctor, the medical professional who doesn't want to be involved is actually dragged into it, whether he likes it or not, by having to, by being obliged to send the inquirer to someone else, he is doing none other than counselling the start of the assisted suicide. Now, whatever else that is, it isn't conscience. It's actually pinching people's consciences. And so what we have here, you hear an awful lot of people saying, well, it's my choice that I want to do this. But let me tell you that under this bill, my choice becomes somebody else's conscience. And that cannot be right. Quinton, um, is it fair to expect people to effectively un undertake actions that uh, morally that, 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 that uh, they're, they're opposed to? The legislation has always allowed for professionals or individuals as participants in whatever role to, to opt out of that, as I understand, and I'm sure Dr Allenson will be able to, to amplify that. So... Um, and it's certainly in 2003, that was always the understanding that that would be the case. I don't accept the rigid interpretation that Peter repeatedly comes back to laws dating back to 1688, hampering the you know, domestic legislation. Your point, if I may say, on a political programme, uh, is was about should le the legislature reflect public opinion? Yes, it shouldn't just be the most popular vox pop, and they will just go along with that. It's got to be considered, and that's what we're doing. We're considering these matters, and we're introducing a, 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 a measure which would be safeguarded and would be appropriate and would be uh, receiving a democratic mandate. And um, I would just reflect that what we've heard in, in, uh, in argument against that is really the slippery slope argument is a variation on the, as we hear for every bit of social legislation, if this happens, it's the end of the world. If women get the vote, everything will stop that functioning properly. If 16-year-olds get the vote, they're far too immature. I remember that argument. And you know what? 
I look at the 16-year-olds who vote. Now, that is a minority, but they are making an active choice as responsible, in some cases, tax-paying individuals. So there's always this argument is thrown up. It's the end of the world if we do this. It's a step too far. We can wait. We can. It's premature. Do you know what? It's Timwell's duty is to reflect wishes of the overwhelming number of, of the public, not only on the Isle of Man, but in the United Kingdom, certainly, who say this is a legitimate political agenda item and we want it to be dealt with. Alex, is, is two weeks a, a long enough cooling off period between someone, someone making a decision that, uh, yes, indeed, they, they want assistance in, in dying or committing suicide, as, as, uh, as Peter would have it, um, Two weeks seems like a remarkably short spell uh, spell of time to me uh, when it's such a big and fundamentally important decision to take. Well, well again, if I can just make it quite clear that there isn't a bill that's mm. been written yet. That, that was one of the ideas of the consultations to elicit some of these the, these questions. When I've talked to physicians who, who have actually been providing assisted dying um, services to, to their patients, both in, in Australia and in California, um, they often say that, that bef- obviously before somebody comes to them, they, they've thought about this for huge amounts of time and at huge lengths and often discussed it with their family and their, and their relatives before they come through. Um, and, and there are always you know, um, options for people to, to change their mind. Um, is two weeks too, too long? Some, some countries have, have had a month. And what they found is that people have deteriorated during that month and are not being able to, to use the service that, that, that was offered to them. So, again, that's one of the things that, that I hope we can debate on, on the floor of Timwald in terms of uh, looking at the evidence from, from around the world, looking at the way people think about consent um, and, and, and the rights of people to consent to various treatments, um, even a, a treatment such as assisted dying, and, and say, what, what, what is the right thing for our, for our island? Well, we are sadly approaching the end of the programme now. So I, I wonder whether perhaps in, in uh, maybe 40, 30, 40 seconds, whether you could each uh, summarise uh, your, your, your position and whether you've been influenced in any way by uh, the debate so far. Maybe, Peter, if you could, can you manage 30, 30 to 40 seconds? Uh, no, I've not been the slightest bit influenced by the debate because I've studied this many times. I've studied right from the, what happened in Germany. I'll just say you one thing. The biggest irony of the lot, you know, Holland was the country that took this on board. During the Second World War, the Führer tried to impose euthanasia on Holland, occupied Holland, preferred to go to concentration camps rather than initiate it. Democratic Holland has done what the Führer wasn't able to do. And that's got to be the biggest irony of history, I think. Ben, um, a, a perhaps less colourful layer summary. <laughs> well, I, I, think, uh, I think perhaps the debate has reinforced to your listeners that the, um, the force behind this assisted dying legislation is more about politics and ideology rather than any genuine concern for people uh, coping with serious and potentially fatal, fatal diagnoses. Um, this type of legislation um, threatens the weak and vulnerable. And I th- I'd, like, I'd, my, I'd like my um, 
uh, last comments to uh, use the words of the current Manx bard, uh, Michael Manning. Um, you know, um, you know, because let's not forget that the strength of any society is judged by how well it it looks after its weakest members. Uh, and Michael Manning said that the rights of of the strong, the rights of the strong, must not compromise the protection of the weak. Quinton, a very brief summary of of, of where we where we're at. Well, I'm disappointed to hear that the argument in favour of choice. At, a matter which affects everybody at some point in their life it is dismissed as being a political agenda rather than a sincere uh, reflection of concern for other humans. I don't accept that and I don't think that's uh, appropriate um, and I just hope that whatever the outcome it's uh, calmly measured and evidence-based and I hope that Timwood will reflect the, um, the, 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 the measures that are reflected in the consultation and I hope that that Timwald and the Isle of Man generally should be proud to own whatever the process is that flows from this um, because it's a Manx matter and it should be dealt with by our legislature. And a final comment then Alex you're the the perpetrator or the proponent of of this depending on which side of the argument you sit. Uh, have you been influenced by any of the discussion or are you pretty sure that you know where you're going no, with I, this? I, I, absolutely. I, I, again, I, the, as we said, Timbald have been discussing this for over two decades and, and now is the time, to, I think, to discuss it again. Um, the medical profession is a very broad church. There's lots of different viewpoints there and different ideals and experiences. And, and th- that mirrors, in many ways, our, our society and should mirror the people who are put by our community to represent them in Timwald. Um, I completely respect people with other viewpoints on assisted dying. And, and they, if this bill is successful, have every right not to take up that service, but for that small number of people who would benefit from it, who it would give them solace and peace towards the end of their life. I think that is worthwhile fighting for. That was Dr Alex Allenson, MHK, Dr Ben Harris, Peter Murcott and Quinton Gill. I hope you found their discussion informative. Are we ready to accept and indeed cope with the pressures and unforeseen consequences associated with rights to assisted dying? For now, though, I'm Phil Gorn, Gurumayus and Geishakram. Thanks for listening. <laughs>